You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome into another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you on the midweek edition coming off of a Colts loss to the Eagles. They are sitting there 4-6-1. and one. A lot to get into today, George, on the midweek pod, including... Is the head coach the reason of Lehman? Now we're starting to see that, you know, this Colts team is more flawed than maybe we even thought uh, after the Frank Wright firing. We'll discuss maybe some potential pause uh, when it comes to drafting a young quarterback. You can see some recent examples of guys struggling. Are the Colts in a position right now to foster a young quarterback if they were to draft one next draft uh, as well? So we got a lot to break down here. Not to mention... Uh, what does Jeff Saturday have to do as well to kind of keep the job now that we've seen him so far through two games? They're one and ones. So we got a lot to break down here. And first of all, before we go any further, George, is this will be the pod released before Thanksgiving. A happy Thanksgiving to everyone listening. Have a great feast. And at least the Colts won't be there to let you down on Thanksgiving Day. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Happy Thanksgiving, Ryan, to you and your family. Uh, yeah, at least we don't have to watch the Colts on this Thanksgiving night. And, and that's something to be thankful for. What's the go-to, George? Thanksgiving, you classic turkey mashed potatoes guy. You jazz it up a little bit. Yeah, turkey and mashed potatoes. For me, it's always pumpkin pie. I mean, that's why I'm always saving room for that. That that's always my uh, my main of it, which is fun because my daughter can't stand it. So, like, more for me. <laughs> more for you. I'll be honest. I'm a very picky eater. I'm not a big Thanksgiving food guy. Like, I'll eat mashed potatoes, stuffing. Not a turkey guy. Not a gravy guy. Even pumpkin pie. Like, I, I mostly I hate to say, kind of go Italian. Big pasta. Usually it's like my mom yeah. would be very nice and make a pasta dish on the side. Cause everyone else in my family likes turkey and all that, you know, all the, the fixings. So it's a kind of boring Thanksgiving, I'll be honest, for yours truly. Hey, if we get our guest for uh for this next pod that that, that we're talking to, he's gonna be right there with you. I know that really he's got a big Italian family and they kind of have an Italian spread every year for Thanksgiving. So you just gotta go to his place. I was just gonna, gonna say maybe make a, a quick trip over to Pittsburgh here between now and Thursday yeah. to uh to load up and, and eat good. So happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the holiday for sure. But to get you there uh, between now and then, George, let's talk about, first of all, there is a viral video that went out uh, on Tuesday morning. Now, they showed it on the broadcast. Now, you couldn't hear audio, but after, as the game w- was over and the Colts were um, were stopped on fourth down, the Eagles about to take a knee to end the game, you did see the, the broadcast show twice, Nick Sione kind of running over and talking and pointing to fans. Now, there was a group of Eagles fans, a group of Colts fans. So you couldn't really tell who he was talking to. He was just fired up to, you know, basically thank the Eagles fans for making the trip and getting the win, or if he was talking smack to the Colts fans. And we find out on Tuesday, thanks to a, a Twitter video filmed by a fan sitting right there, it was talking smack to the Colts fans as he pointed and said, that win was for Frank Reich. That's a guy that was emotional in the postgame press conference, kind of letting his feelings be known. 
that he did not approve of Frank Reich getting fired, did not believe he was worthy of getting fired, a guy that has influenced him so much. How do you think, I'll ask you this, George, I guess to frame it this way, how do you think Frank Reich reacts to that? Uh, not well, I'll tell you that. That's that's not, let's put it this way, that's not Frank's style. I, I don't think he would want uh, anybody doing that on his behalf, and, and no less Nick Sirianni. Those two are incredibly close, there's no doubt about it. Uh, but I think there's probably a sense out there in the Colts fan base that Frank Reich was like going hardcore for the Eagles on Sunday. I doubt that's the case. He's close with a lot of these coaches still on this team. He cares about the players on this team. I'm sure he wanted just that to be a good game, and he, and he wanted. I'm sure he wants good things to happen to the Colts the rest of this year. Uh, I I know he's can't be happy with the way things ended here. Uh, I don't think anybody would, especially the phone call. I think that's the part of this that probably drives Nick Sirianni the the most, uh, the anger that he's got the most there because the coaches know you're, you're hired to get fired, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it is the rare coach who leaves on his own terms. That's just the business. You get into it, you understand that. Uh, but I think happening in the middle of the season when it never happened before here, and happening over the phone, I think, are part of the reasons that, that you see Nick Sirianni reacting the way that he did. He's always been a, a super emotional guy, so I can't say I'm stunned that that, that happened. Uh, but you've got you to find a way in that moment to, to be the bigger man, for lack of a better term, uh, and not kind of go – the fans didn't do anything. You know I mean? They didn't they, – they don't make decisions around here. They didn't – they may have supported it, but they certainly didn't make that call. Uh, and so I, I can't imagine Frank looks at that and, and is happy. I'll say that. You're probably right. And Frank Reich, you know, with his background, and you know Frank from a personal level way better than I ever would. But as a human being, I think there has to be a small part, even a small part that he'll never vocalize and make public. You have to feel a little, a little bit good about, not the fact that the Colts lost or the fact that Nick Sirianni, his protege, you know, got the win in, in a quote-unquote revenge game, if you will. But I think the, the thing about Sunday that has to have Frank Reich feel a little bit good was that that win or that loss, I should say, showed the head coach wasn't the biggest problem on the team. Now, that's something that me and you have hammered home now for weeks. You know, the, the Frank Reich firing felt inevitable, but it's not the fact that he was the main reason why this team was losing. I think through two games, even though you got a nice little bump and sure, the Colts have been a little bit better to start, you know, the game than they were under Frank Reich so far. The, the, the issues remain the same. Like we talked about this on the post-game pod on Sunday. In case you missed it, make sure you check it out wherever you do get your Blue Horseshoe pod. But basically, the, the theme of the post-game pod on Sunday was same day or, or same story, different day. Right? With how the Colts have lost, the offensive ineptitude, the defense being on the field, and being asked to be Hercules and Superman and unfortunately not getting one more stop that they need in order to win the game against a good offense. It, the, the recipe for losing was the same with Jeff Saturday as was for Frank Reich. And at least again, even if just a very small part of Frank Reich, you got to feel good knowing that, hey, they blame me and I was a scapegoat for the main issues for the, so far this lost season. But in reality, he is not the main reason why the Colts are right now sitting at 4-6-1 and one in a year that we expect them to make a playoffs and maybe win a playoff game. No, absolutely. You know, I'm sure there's part of him that that looked at that and and probably felt, you know, his heart goes out a little bit to these players. I think he would love to see them turn it around and, and you know, get these issues fixed. Uh, I think he'd be the first guy to say that that he'd be happy to see that happen with this group. But at the same time, I think the other thing that coaches do is they look forward, right? I mean, you 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 get out of one job and, and you go to the next one. So I'm not sure if he's transitioned to that point yet, but I'm sure he's heading that way. 
uh, you know, on to whatever's next for him. Probably an offensive coordinator job somewhere in the NFL. I think he'd be a good head coach at the college level. If somebody wants to come call in there. Um, and I think there's a chance. I still, I've been saying this for a while. I'm going to beat this drum in, until it doesn't happen uh, that, that he could be the guy in Carolina, you know, so we'll see how all that works out. Um, but I think absolutely this situation, uh, which you see with the Colts right now, very similar to what you saw with the Colts when Frank Reich was here. I think Jeff Saturday has absolutely brought an energy to this locker room. I think he's brought confidence to this locker room. Uh, but they've got to start making plays when it matters. And, and one thing Saturday said on Tuesday, uh, this is the thing I hate worst about the coaching change these, these days. You know, okay, Jeff changed uh, his name just for like the next six yeah. weeks. That, that's all. Just like Jeff Smith, like nothing crazy, yeah. but just so we're not mixing our days up. And it's like Saturday, Tuesday, Sunday. What, what day is it? Who's on first? Right. Like it's just, you know, <laughs> it's it's very messy. Um, we'll, we'll talk to him. See, see if that'll work out for him. You know, maybe he'll understand. I'm sure he's very media friendly, right? He's, he's going to understand. Our, our His main priority, here. I'm sure, is to make the fans and media's life easier first. And then, oh yeah, yeah. football team second. <laughs> nah, that's that, that just comes along with the, with the job, right? The most important thing is to make sure the fans and media are happy. But, uh, no, I think he said on Tuesday, it's not just the fourth quarter. And I think that's a really good point. You know, you go back to the third quarter in this game in particular, uh, where you have the ball at the 22 yard line and, and you only get a field goal. And then the next two possessions, you get a, your own 47, your own 45, and you don't cash in. Uh, you know, I don't think you scored on either. It was missed a field goal on one of them and punted on the other. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not just the fourth quarter. I think we focus on the end of the game because that's human nature. I do it too. You know, you go back to, hey, if they score from the five, this is, it's over. Uh, and that's absolutely remains true. But you can go through every one of these games throughout the season. And there's a moment anywhere during that game where if you execute, you know, if Paris Campbell can hold on to that, that ball on that drive that started at 22, you got a first down, you're still going in. It, you know, that play is as important as anything, any of the sacks that happened later, any of the other things that, that didn't go the Colts' way. And I think what, what Saturday's point was, they've got to get to a point where they see them all the same. You're not putting more pressure on yourself in the fourth quarter because you already made that play in the first quarter or the second quarter or the third quarter, and it's all the same to you. You know, I think that's part of, as he said, learning how to win. That's the phrase that he was using. I think we, we forget this is a fairly young team, you know, because the, what they've accomplished the last few years especially at some key positions, left tackle being one uh, right guard being another. Yeah. Uh, and, and you see guys like that who are making mistakes in, in these kind of critical kind of situations. And they just have to find a way to calm down, understand, you know, the fourth quarter is no important, no more important than the first quarter. But if you make those plays early, it gives you confidence to make them late. This is going to be a really dumb question, George, but I'm asking Emma because I'm not sure if the Colts know. Do they know actually the, like what their biggest issues are of why this season is four, six, and one? Because again, they bench the quarterback. Like the moves they made kind of show you so far they don't know what the real issue is. Now, I know we talked about it a lot, but you bench Matt Ryan. Was he problem number one? No. You fire Marcus Brady. Was he problem number one? No. You fire Frank Reich. Was he problem number one? No. You just mentioned Jeff Satter's talking about, oh, you know, it's not just the fourth quarter where we're kind of coming up short. And he's 100% right. And whether it was Frank Reich where short, the fourth quarter would be their best quarter, ironically, but the first half and the first quarter especially would be their worst. So some of the quarters change, and maybe they get off to a fast start but can't close. 
But either way, we are talking about these same issues week in and week out, George, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's guys like not making a play, Paris came on third down, just catching a ball that is catchable to keep the chains moving on a drive and get you deep in the you know in the red zone, maybe score a touchdown instead of kicking for a field goal. It's Jonathan Taylor not fumbling the ball after getting a first down and getting dragged. I know the defense, a few players got their own turnover, but again, you keep that drive going. Maybe you punch it in, and again, maybe we're not sitting here needing a defensive stop by the defense in order to win the game. Like, it's the same things each and every week, George. The the players who make the mistakes could change. The, the timing of when the mistakes happen change. But overall, it's the same issues. It's the same self-inflicted wounds. And we're sitting here going into week 12 with numerous changes made and the outcome's not really changing, George. It's like, it's a stupid question to ask. But it's like, do you actually think this team knows what is wrong with the team? Because it doesn't feel like it. No, I'm with you. It doesn't feel like it. I'm still dumbfounded that all those moves that, that you talked about happened and Chris Strausser wasn't fired. You know, I mean, I just feel like the offensive line has been kind of the, the focal point of this uh, to everybody but the decision makers within within the organization. They've changed up the lineup on the offensive line, obviously, but, uh, you know, maybe there's something internally that we're not aware of uh, where they just feel like that's not the issue. But from everything that we see watching this team, you know, week in and week out, it's the holding penalties. It's, you know, allowing Matt Ryan to be sacked without really any chance on that final drive. Um, you know, the, the last shot they had was, I think, third and 16. Um, and Or was it third and... Yeah, yeah and then you get third, 16, start, and you and get the sack. fourth and 21, and it's like the game's over. Yeah, you can't... It's those things happen all the time with this franchise this year, you know? And it's more often than not, like you said, it changes who it is. You know, sometimes it's Jonathan Taylor fumble. Michael Pittman had a stretch there where he didn't hold on to the football as well as he should. Um, you know, Matt Ryan had a long stretch in the early season where he was making mistakes, dropping the ball, throwing, you know, ill-advised passes. But most of these things come back to the offensive line more often than not. It, it's why they can't be consistent. You know, it's why they, they can't punch the ball in from the five-yard line, for instance. That's You've got the highest-paid offensive line in the league you should be getting more from them than, than what you've got this year. And I think that, to me, it's never one issue. It's never one problem. But that's the one that could clean up the most um, of, of the other areas. If you fix that one, I think you'd see a lot of improvement everywhere else. And it's infuriating because, again, this is not like, you know, Frank Reich was unjustly fired or something like that. It's not a surprise. And, again, maybe the timing tiny bit. Um, since Jim Mercer's never fired a head coach in season before, before obviously this year, but it felt inevitable at least bare minimum at the end of the year, he's going to be fired. So I'm not, you know, I'm least not sitting here saying, you know, this is ridiculous. This team would be a lot better off if you saw here, but also what doesn't still make any sense is uh, again, whether it's, you know, the decision-making with the head coach, whether it's also now bringing Jeff Saturday, not only off the street, but actually allowing him to be the head coach where you're not forcing a quarterback down his throat, like, towards the end of the Frank Reich era with Sam Ellinger. And that's when it felt like just like this team was waving the white flag and this season's over and you're making Sam Ellinger the start of the rest of the year. Two weeks later, Frank Reich's fired. And it's like, oh, you know what? Jeff Saturday, no experience. You do what the hell you want. Whatever quarterback you want to play, whatever offense you want to run, go for it. It's your show. It just, it doesn't make any sense. And like you said, this team is still like the manning part is this team is good enough where they truly can't tank. Like I was rooting for it. And when Sam Allen goes out there, maybe you can make the argument if he was to start the rest of the year, they probably maybe would win one game just because he's so bad and so inept. But it's like this, they, this defense is a top five defense. You have playmakers. And again, the offensive line 
is inconsistent at best, which you can have a game where you rush for 200 yards like they did against the Raiders. You can have another one of those performances once in a while. But again, you can have a good drive or a good half, but they can never put games together. They can never, you know, outside of the Raiders game, put two good halves together. Now we know they can't put two good games together. It's just a ride or a wave of inconsistency all season long. And we're sitting here talking about the same things. And even though we're talking about the same issues, George, uh, I feel like I'm you know, in an insane asylum. The, the changes to actually address the real issues have not been made yet. Yeah, that that's the really weird thing. Uh, you know, and some of that's injury. I mean, Dennis Kelly came in, did a decent job at left tackle. Then he got hurt. Now I think it's probably the right call to go with Bernard Raymond. You're just trying to, to he's learning on the job and that stuff, but you're trying to find out what you've got right. there uh, and whether or not he's the guy. Season. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's, that's where you are. Same thing with Will Fry's at, at right guard. Honestly, like can this guy get through these more or less rookies, not a rookie, but he is in, in playing experience. Right. Can you get through these more or less rookie, you know, mistakes and, and, and be the guy moving forward down the stretch. They've got to find that out. Uh, because I think the offensive line has to be a big focal point in the offseason. And really, with the money you've already spent there, it's probably got to be a big focal point in the draft. Because I don't know if it makes a lot of sense to send more money into that line when they're already the highest paid line in the league. You're probably better yeah. off going and getting you know rookies uh, who you feel good about uh, who, who can come in. And it's supposed to be a deep, deep draft for tackles. We know. You know, in, in November, that stuff always holds up come April. What we're talking about the draft class 100% of the time uh, is always accurate, right? But right now, the buzz is that it's a deep draft for tackles. So I think the Colts have to be active in that. As much as we focus on the quarterback and as much as they need to get that quarterback in the future, we'll talk about that later, the left tackle is, is right there. I mean, it, to me, there's four spots on this team that you've got to fill over the next couple of years that really, ideally, you've got to do it through the draft. Quarterback is right there, number one, obviously. Left tackle is 1A in my mind. Yes, I'm with you. Defensive end has got – Quiddy Play has done a great job. He needs a Robin to his Batman. You've got to go – and look, it's not going to be Yannick and Gakwe long-term. You've got to get another defensive end out there who can come and be that bookend. And the other one I don't think we talk about a ton is corner because mm-hmm. Stephon Gilmore is not going to play forever. And you need somebody who can kind of step up. I think Isaiah Rogers has really shown – he can be that dude, and I think he's got a guy who can really help out this team going down, down, you know, going forward. But you need that shutdown, lockdown, number one corner. Those four spots to me, the ne- I don't know, it might take four years. It might take four number one picks to, to get them, but that's what you've got to be focused on. I think you're 100% right, and like I said, that's why this team is contention in 2023 is not really a question. Maybe they could surprisingly if you get, you know, some rookie quarterbacks get hot and you get lucky. But really, like I said, this is a, a rebuild, for lack of a better word, or retooling, if you will. But this is just not a one-off season fix for sure, which I think goes back to if we kind of bring everything full circle to where we started the segment. That's, I think, why you saw some emotion from Nick Sirianni after the game and kind of chirping at Colts fans and then talking in the post-game press conference and kind of almost getting choked up, frankly, talking about, you know, his uh, the impact that not only the city of Indianapolis had, but, you know, what Frank Reich had on him and why he was so happy to get this win was just because – we just, you see so many holes in this Colts team. It's clearly not the head coach that's the biggest reason for sure. But yet he was, uh, let's say, the biggest scapegoat. I know others got, you know, Marcus Brady got fired. Matt Ryan got benched for a little bit. So there's other moves that are made first. But he seemingly was the biggest scapegoat for right now this lost season. I think mean, clearly you see, even through two games of just Saturday's tenure so far, 
it's not the head coach. That's right now the biggest reason for this team. And that's also concerning too going forward, George, because look at in the offseason when they actually opened up. We'll talk about this in a little bit. When Jeff Saturday and his ability to keep the job. But it's also goes to show you like this, this team is now one head coach away from turning around. Just like you mentioned, this is a rebuild. So they're not not one Sean Payton-esque coach, let's say, right? Because Sean Payton's not coming in here. But let's say someone of his elk, you know, he's not, one guy's not coming in here, turning things around, and all of a sudden now you're talking about playoffs for next year. This is a, a big rebuild. This is a, a, a situation where, like I said, you're going to have to address multiple key positions on both sides of the ball here over the next few drafts. And it goes to show you that for all the, the criticism Frank Reich took, again, rightfully so in some instances, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. He's not the biggest reason why right now the Colts are sitting here under 500, lost season, and we're talking about more at the draft halfway through the year than we would talk about a playoff chase for sure. Speaking of a playoff chase, George, let's when we do return here, discuss is there any hope right now for the Colts turning things around at 4-6 while making a playoff run? And what does Jeff Saturday have to do in order to remove the interim tag and be the full-time head coach going forward? We'll discuss that when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Nicky, George Bremer here with you a very early Happy Thanksgiving. Have a great holiday. Enjoy some good food, some good football, especially considering the Colts will not be on TV, George, on Thanksgiving, that's for sure. And at least your Sunday, too, if you have a long ha, long weekend, long holiday weekend with the family, your Sunday won't be ruined as well because the Colts are on Monday night. So there's some optimism for you here uh, heading into Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to having a free Sunday. That doesn't happen very often uh, this time of year for me. So I'm, I'm fired up about that. Um, but you know, Hey, Monday night, one of the most famous franchises in the history of this league coming in town. Right. So I expect to see a lot of terrible towels waving there in Lucas oil stadium, a lot of black and gold because I swear they could schedule a Steelers game in like Saudi Arabia and there would be 20,000 Steelers fans there. I don't, especially for this game, George, if, if you make the trip from Pittsburgh to Indy, God bless you. Cause we're talking about. <laughs> A Monday night game off a holiday weekend where you're looking at a four, six, and one Colts team hosting a three and seven Steelers team, the 10th team in the AFC, taking on the 15th team in the AFC. Nothing says, you know, big time, prime time matchup other than Colts Steelers here on Monday night. It's going to be a doozy. So, speaking of which, George, here, you're playing a, a bad team. You're playing a, a team this year that you should beat. And you look at the rest of the schedule. Let's just play the game. Why the hell not? Because right now, the AFC is doing nothing to put the Colts out of their misery. You have the Steelers right now on Monday night. You're taking on the Cowboys. They're, uh, you're in Dallas. They are 7-3. and three. The Vikings are 8-2. and two. Then you have the Chargers, 5-5. Five and five. Giants, 7-3. and three. Texans are 1-8-1. Are one, and one. So you're playing three teams right now at the last six with a winning record. Three teams that are, you know, either you should win or winnable games. I can't even argue right now the Giants are a winnable game just because I know their record is nice, but that's a team that kind of feels like, you know, they're smoking mirrors, if you will, a little bit, especially with who they played. It's not a very strong schedule. Is the In your mind, is there a playoff possibility? Is there any hope, gasp, one last gasp left of, uh, of making a playoff push here and getting that seven seed, which, again, right now the Colts are sitting 10th in the AFC? Not realistically. And it goes back to what we've been talking about, you know, at the top of the show, consistency. I mean, you'd have to put not just two good games together. You'd have to put three, four, five good games in in a row together. And I don't think that's going to happen from this team. I don't see any reason to to really buy into that. Um, You know, the schedule's there. If you did find a way to get consistent, if you did find a way to turn this around, I think it's it's doable. I mean, Dallas looks pretty frightening after what they did to Minnesota True. on Sunday. 
Um, but anybody else on that list, I, I don't know that you absolutely feel like going into that game. The Colts can't compete. I mean, most games in the NFL are one score games. And I think the Colts have had eight of them in their 11 weeks. So you you assume odds are it's going to be close games most of these games. If, if you could be a little more consistent, uh, you know, take advantage of the opportunities when they're there. Sure, you could get back in. So it's possible in a theoretical sense. I just don't see it, it based on what we've seen from this team. And it goes back to, you know, that first segment again, talking about Frank Reich, and, and you said it. It's not like he didn't deserve to be fired. We can quibble about the way things happen, the timing of it or whatever. The fact of the matter is he's an offensive-minded head coach, and this offense can't get it done. Not solely his fault. We've seen that. Oh, got a guest star coming in into the screen there a little bit. Uh, it's not, not solely his fault. We have seen that, you know, in, in the two weeks since he's been there. But the fact of the matter is this team is averaging 15.7 points per game. And that's even in a year where scoring is pretty much down across the NFL. The Colts are still one of the worst scoring teams. That's why I can't see them making a playoff push. I don't see that turning around and you're suddenly, I think 11 weeks, four times they've scored 20 points, twice more than 20. You're going to have to do that at least four times in the last six games if you want to make a playoff push, and I don't, nothing that I've seen tells me that's going to happen. I couldn't agree more. Like you said, they can't put two good games together. So now we're sitting here talking about a six-game stretch where you're four, six, and one. Realistically, I think bare minimum, you're talking about needing to go four and two. Uh, actually, probably no. What am I talking about? Five, yeah, and five and one. Five and one. Five and one bare minimum in order to to make a, a real push to get to ten wins and try to jump the likes of either the Patriots who may fall off, who do have the tiebreaker over you, the Bengals who are 6-4, and four, the Jets are 6-4. and four. Now you will play the Chargers who are the team ahead of you right now, ninth, uh, they're 5-5, five and five, and you'll obviously play them in a few weeks. But you're 100% right. Like what is the – where is the belief? What reason? What piece of evidence can anyone point to right now and say, oh, yeah, this team's going to turn around? Sure, they're close and in one-score games. I believe it's – off the time I had 4-3-1. and one, So it's not like they are – this awful team in one score games that can't win the close one. They've done a pretty good job, frankly, in one score games. The issue is just they have zero consistency. We said the word before in the first segment. You can't trust this team. You can't trust the team to play a good first half and a good second half together. So there's no reason to believe you're talking about they can rip off now, bare minimum, five wins in six games. And again, you're talking about a stretch where you're playing three teams over 500, including the Cowboys, the Vikings, and the Giants, which again, the Vikings came down to earth, but this is also a Vikings team that the week before they got throttled by the Cowboys, went into Buffalo and won the game. Now, the Minnesota's defense is definitely not frightening whatsoever, but, you know, that's a game where, again, you mentioned, can the Colts take advantage of a bad defense? Can the Colts take advantage uh, of a defense that has given up a lot of points? I don't think so, because they've played bad defense before and have struggled. You know, Tennessee, both times they played, Tennessee's defense is not very good. You know, the, the first match, I believe their, their run game was the weak point. The second matchup, their pass defense was like one of the worst in the NFL. Neither didn't matter. Neither time the Colts could take advantage of the, the Titans' weakness. Senior you're talking about a Texan team that's not very good. The Colts scored 20 points. So there's no, yeah, there's no hope. There's absolutely no hope. I'm sorry. It just, it's over. It's been over, but now it's really over. 17 of those points in the fourth quarter, too, against Houston. I mean, that's another that's good point. Right. It was a really rough, rough day uh, down there. And the season's kind of played out that way since and what we, the team we saw in week one is pretty much the team we've seen throughout the year. Uh, as far as it being its own worst enemy, you know, and, and again, when we say we don't trust this team, I want to be more specific. We don't trust this offense. 
This yes. defense deserves to go to the playoffs. If this was like an AAU style thing and they could hook on with another offense and move <laughs> on, this defense deserves to be a playoff team. This offense has just let them down time and time again. Uh, and I know that, you know, it, it, there's a lot of pride on that offense. I know that it's killing Matt Ryan that they're not putting more points on the board. I know it's killing Ryan Kelly and, and Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith. They've been around all, all four of them, not together, uh, but they've been around offenses that have been much better than this one. They know what it looks like. They know what they need to do. Uh, and, and that to me, you're 11 weeks into the, into the season and the only offensive game you can even look at and, and point to and say, yeah, that was pretty good was the Raiders. And we know the Raiders are a train wreck, yeah. you know? So one out of 11 is not a very good winning percentage. Uh, and that's, that's why moving forward, I'm hundred percent with you. I don't see this offense against that schedule putting up enough good performances for them to, to legitimately win five games. And like you mentioned, the defense will keep a minute. Like, I don't think they'll get like, I don't say like they could give the Cowboys the Vikings like good games. I think they could frankly, maybe even be the giants, but it's like mm -hmm. one of those things where do you trust the offense to outscore? Uh, you can't even with a good defensive performance. Again, Eagles scored 17 points, still can't win. It's just one of those things where you struggle to win, even when the defense is playing great. All right. So now that the playoffs, George are out of the picture, out of the question, let's focus then our attention to, uh, the head coach of Jeff Saturday. What is, you know, with him playing for the rest of the season here with the last six games, what do you think he has to do in order to kind of make a strong case and maybe be the front runner to win this job? Is it record wise? Is it an improvement in, let's say, the offensive line? Like, what are you kind of, I guess, basing your decision if you were Jim Mersey on whether to truly uh, consider and maybe make the favorite Jeff Saturday? Yeah, a couple things on this. One, I don't know. I'll be quite honest. Sometimes I think we in the business feel like we're afraid to say that. Uh, and I, I don't know uh, because this, the decision-making on this, this season has been so strange and bizarre at times that it's hard to really gather what they want to see. Uh, I think the offense being more consistent would help him a lot. You know, I think if they could get closer to a 20 point average, maybe over the last six games, um, maybe that would be the kind of thing. But the other part of this that I wonder, and it's a question that we really haven't dealt with. I got this on a different podcast uh, earlier this week, and, and I thought it was fascinating. I wanted to run it by you. Is the plan even ever been for Jeff Saturday to be the permanent coach when they brought him in? Did they do it with the idea of, hey, this is a guy who's beloved by the fan base? You kind of touched on it a little bit. We haven't really delved into it. This is a guy who's beloved by the fan base. It, no, no matter what happens, if he went 0-8 or 8-0, the fans are going to feel the same way about him. He's got a gig at ESPN he can go back to easily no matter what happens here. He can continue to be a consultant for this. His life before he took this job probably doesn't change at all by anything that happens during his stint on the job. That's a question that I really wonder. I want your thought on that. Like, how realistic is it that he's even being considered to be the number one guy? If I had to put a percentage on it, maybe that's the best way to answer this question. I would say 5%. I think Jim Mercy went, when, uh, went in this hire thinking, most likely, this is like you said, this is basically a PR stunt to where at least we'll get the fans off our back. And whether we lose eight games or win eight games, at least, you know, the, like you said, the fans will not be. Uh, there not be a lot of vitriol towards the team and towards the head coach and towards the owner, Jim Mercer. And I think when you hire Jeff Saturday in the position that he was in, I think there's – because Jim Mercer is a fan. He loves Jeff Saturday, and he's like kind of like, like – he's like an optimist. Right? He always – you know, he's always – he never talks negative about the Colts. He's always trying to, you know, set the bar. You know, we're going to win two Super Bowls in the next decade. Like he's always kind of talking positively about this team no matter where they are. 
I think there was a probably five percent chance because he really thought in his heart, probably deep down, no way. But you never know. Like, like you never know. Maybe Jeff Satter is the guy. You saw how fired up he was after the Raiders game and kind of taking a small victory lap, if you will, with all the criticism he got. I would say about five, maybe ten percent chance. Jim Mercy realistically thought that Jeff Satter could compete and maybe actually win the permanent job going forward. But like you mentioned, this there was when this move was made two weeks ago. There's still nothing, even now, two weeks after we see how he's coaching, there's nothing you can justify winning-wise. And you can say, oh, yeah, this is the right hire. This is the right guy now taking over for Frank Reich because he's going to leave in more wins. There's nothing you can tangibly point to. It also makes it tougher to kind of evaluate just because this is such a, a messed-up situation. You bring a guy with no experience halfway through the year who's not been in the building. We kind of talked about his first hire, George. Like, What can he realistically do? I think outside of the offensive line, like, he's not going to do anything with the defense, and Gus Bradley's getting the credit there, rightfully so. And it's like, if, if anything, if, if let's say the offense the last six weeks does something we do not expect whatsoever, they're more consistent, they're averaging, I don't know, 28 points per game in the last six games, and they turn it around. Are we going to be giving Jeff Satter the credit? Is going to be more Parks Frazier, Matt Ryan, you know, and maybe just the players themselves? Like, I just don't know what he can actually do to justify getting the job permanently because outside of the offensive line, I don't think there's anything you can point to say, oh, that's a Jeff Saturday difference. And that's what he brings to this team going forward that another coach couldn't do. No, I, I'm 100% behind you on that. I think that's what makes this whole situation so bizarre. And I, and I think I want to say up front, everybody loves Jeff Saturday. I think everybody does. Um, you know, the media loves him. The fans love him. The players love him. The owner obviously loves him. I think the rest of the coaching staff showed you by the way they responded that, that they've really, you know, right. they've gotten behind him as well too. Uh, and these are guys who are very loyal to Frank Reich and probably feel a lot like Nick Sirianni. If you could get them on a lie detector test, a, a lot of these assistants probably feel in the same way he does right now, but that Jeff Saturday has that leadership. That's real. He has that charisma about him. He pulls people into him. There's no doubt about that. I think that's the one thing you kind of could latch onto if you want to push him as, as the, the head coach, the permanent head coach is the idea that he is a natural leader. Um, but you know, I, I is it X's and O's league. And I don't know, we're not going to have any idea what he's really able to accomplish in that area because of the way this setup went, all the things you just said, he doesn't have time to change the offense. He doesn't have time to make tweaks to the defense. He's done what he can do. And I think that's inspire this team, put a little confidence in this team and empower these players. Like you were talking about, to, to kind of turn things around for themselves, you know? Um, and I think, you know, our producer, Aaron, took some time away from contemplating the Jets quarterback position, <laughs> took some time away from, from watching the World Cup. He made a really good point before the show. A lot of people, including us, thought this might be a disaster. It hasn't been. You know, how much credit you want to give Jeff Saturday for that? I don't know, but he deserves some of it. The fact that there, there haven't been crazy problems with, like, substitutions. There haven't been really obvious game management issues. There hasn't been a lack of effort by anybody on this team. The players haven't given up. That's pretty clear. The other coaches haven't given up. All those things were real possibilities when this move was made, and none of them have happened. So I'm saying, you know, I think what you can judge Jeff Saturday on, he's done a good job. But the really important element of this, the X's and O's, the, the weekend, week out ability to, to scheme for an opponent and, you know, I don't know how we could possibly judge him on that based on the situation he's in. And then if you think about it, right, like you're 100% right. Like so far, we both thought this is going to crash and burn. And, and we gave Jeff Saturday a lot of credit after the Raiders game because he looked like the more competent coach than, Jeff, than Josh McDaniels. 
So it's like you outcoach a guy who's been coaching before, who's been in the league now for a while as an assistant and a former head coach as well. So you're able to make him look silly in your first game. It's impressive. So you're right. Credit to Jeff Saturday for making this basically say like, you know, this is not a dumpster fire. With that said, then, if you're going to hire Jeff Saturday full-time, George, think about how low that – like, there should be a riot because you're basically – like, you then would hire Jeff Saturday full-time on exactly what you said. It wasn't a disaster. You know, he he, he was competent with timeout usage and, and personnel and, and the two-minute uh, no-huddle offense, at least in the first half against the Eagles, looked pretty solid. Like, there's – the players haven't given up. Like, that's what you're basically selling the fan base. We are hiring a head coach – that had the players play hard at least through two games because who knows there's still a long way to go where this goes downhill. They they play you know he wasn't a disaster in terms of challenges and timeouts and games game manager situations. Like you're basically hiring someone that just kind of kept things status quo. You you're not hiring someone that's taking this team to the next level. Like I said with scheme, with personnel decisions, with an offense that maybe can better utilize the pieces they have on this roster. You're just hiring someone that basically kept the the the, the ship afloat, uh, or didn't allow it to totally sink from when he took over. Like that's really your basis. And how is any fan? Again, name aside, right? Because Jeff Saturday, like you said, is beloved. But taking his just name out of it, you're really gonna hire someone, or even think about hiring someone who just came in and managed to keep everything status quo for a team that's that's four six and one. I don't see yeah. it again. I don't see how you can justify that if you're Jim Mercy because you're right. That would be the only real basis he could hire him off of is the fact that he hasn't had this be a total disaster and hasn't had the players so far through the first two weeks give up. Yeah. So and that's the only, someone. and it's the only thing we can really judge him on because of the situation he's in. That's why, that's why, you know, that, that initial question on, was it ever even really about trying to, to install him as the permanent? We'll find out, I guess, at the end of the year, because we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, in January when, when this search starts and, and obviously when it concludes and, and, and we'll see who the guy is and, and we'll maybe, have more insight into that, but it just it felt like on that day, and it still feels that way today, that you put him in a situation where he can't win the job full-time because of the situation he inherited and, and the limitations that are there on him. Um, but also, and I know this is one of the things you wanted to talk about, you know, how does that affect the head coaching search out there in general when you see the issues that this team has? One thing I'm wondering, are you a little bit more looking towards the college ranks now? For a couple reasons. One, those coaches might be a little bit more, I guess, excited about taking a raise, a little bit True. less worried about some of the other issues that are that are possible with this franchise. But two, colleges have kind of worked around the offensive line. Those college offenses, there's just a few that are still kind of going with pro-style attacks. Not very many. Uh, the only one at the, near the top of the, the you know, playoff, situation right now that I can think of is Michigan that's still kind of a power run team that still has a lot of pro concepts and they're just about everybody else is running the spread they're running quick reads we've seen that work to some extent in Buffalo we've seen it work in Baltimore we've seen it Chicago start to kind of bring in some of those kind of ideas we've seen Kansas City do really really well with some of those ideas yeah. you know now granted they're not run by college coaches but Maybe that's a route. Maybe somebody, at least on the offensive staff, who's got a history with those kind of offenses, maybe that's the way forward in the future. I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there, and it, it makes me wonder. I think you're – I'm, first of all, down with the college ranks, like whether it's uh, – you know, I throw Ryan, name, uh, Ryan Day's name out there. I'm not sure if he's interested, to be honest. It's just pure speculation. But a guy like Jim Harbaugh, who obviously has roots here, and like you mentioned, 
he is, to his credit, you talk about taking an offensive line and taking the next level, he has revamped that Wolverines offensive line where a few years ago, they were getting their doors beaten by Ohio State every single year because they kind of try to match what Ohio State does. And Jim Harbaugh, his credit, realized we can't beat Ohio State at their own game, so we're going to go back to the power run game. And they have just – they bullied Ohio State last year. They're bullying every opponent so far they play this year. So you got to think he's a guy that, you know, it, if he was to get hired, he'd be able to come in and take what the what, what the Colts have offensively and figure out how to either positionally, you know, get them to play better or, again, through the draft, through free agency, get guys in there that can kind of run to a scheme. So – you have, I would say, especially in the college ranks, have a lot of faith in Jim Harbaugh. If he was to come to the Colts, that he could, you know, kind of turn things around and either go all in on a run-heavy offense like the Colts are built to have, or again, kind of go, you know, more spread offense, like you said, and at least not make this offense line be the total weak point that they are so far this season. But also, too, you wonder, and it's just like the college ranks might be another easier way to kind of go, like you mentioned, because now that the head coach clears out the reason. It's going to be a lot of work. Like, how many coaches want to undertake a rebuild? Like, it's easier to sell a college coach on a rebuild and patience compared to a guy who's, you know, most likely going to get a second opportunity, we'll say, or even a first opportunity. Like, we saw, like, for example, Byron Leftwich, right, Buccaneers offense coordinator. That guy's going to be a, a hot name on the hot coaching market. Well, he was going to take the Jaguars job, a guy that obviously is beloved in Jacksonville, but he saw that they were not going to fire Trent Bulk. He saw some issues and said, you know what, I'm going to wait. Now we're starting to see more and more patience from coordinators and not just jumping at the first job they get because they realize most likely your first impression is going to be the last one. So you want to go to a situation that's right. And it is a little concerning, George, when, again, we're talking about all these issues for the Colts, mainly offensive line, but kind of, you know, an issue where they're kind of in between where they have some pricey veterans, especially on the defensive side, that aren't, you know, are ready to win now, but this offense is not ready to win now and how quick it can get the offense up to speed, the defense. Like there's going to be a lot of big-time – Questions or moves need to be made to get the Colts kind of going in one direction or the other. That if you're uh, either a first and head coach or a guy looking for your second and most likely last opportunity, it makes any less attractive. It, it does. Yeah. Well, I mean, because like you're talking about, if you're Byron Leftwich and you're brought in, you know, it's a rebuilding situation. Your question has to be, am I going to be around to see the fruit of that rebuild? Or right. am I going to be the guy that does all the work and somebody else swoops in and, and gets the glory? You know, nobody wants to do that. College coaches are used to it. They get jobs. That's that's what they do in college all the time. You take over a program that's in shambles and you build it up and then you get to go to a better better job. I mean, that that's the way the college game works. Uh, one thing about Harbaugh that I think is interesting because I know we're going to get into a lot of coaching speculation now because we have to. That's where we are now. Um, I, I, I think he's one of the guys with a proven track record in the NFL. What he did yep. in San Francisco, no one's going to argue. Anyone would take that four-year stretch right now. Sign me up for that. I'm 100%. sure everybody would. Uh, but he did it with part of that time with Alex Smith at quarterback. Not an elite guy. Not special in any way. The rest of it was Colin Kaepernick, and he was kind of taking the league by surprise. Really, the first time you saw that Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields type of offense work in the NFL um, I think he's a guy that would not be concerned with who the quarterback is. Most of these guys are going to come in and they're going to want to know what your plan is for quarterback. I think Harbaugh is a guy who might look at this situation. This is theoretical and say, I'll take Jonathan Taylor. I'll fix that offensive line. You've got the defense. I can come and win right now. That's a, a great point, George. Cause again, the Colts right now are not going to be a top three pick. They're not going to be a top five pick. They might even be a top 10 pick. I saw a projection today. I believe it was on Twitter 
I think the Colts had they're projected to get the 14th or 13th, 14th pick somewhere in that range. So you're not most likely getting the quarterback you want unless you trade up big time like the 49ers did a few years ago. That's not the Chris Ballard, you know, way. Let's say if he's still the GM that's gonna be making this decision come draft time. So you're right, like that's another thing where if you are a coach that's like, oh, you know what? I'll come in Indy if I'm able to pick my quarterback and you know, kind of hitch my wagon to whatever young guy at 14, at pick 14. Most likely, you're not going to get the the guy that's number one on your board. Let's say if it's Bryce Young, Will Levis, which we can talk about that on, on a whole other pod about it, you know his pro viability. But at, at pick 14, you're most likely you know th- those guys are going to be scooped up early on. So it's a great point where quarterback you may not either get the guy you want or, or the Colts. I mean, we may have to start talking about this, George. Maybe we'll do it when we come back here. Colts may not even draft a quarterback in, in the first round next year, depending on where they are. So let's actually discuss that really quick, because I think that also the 2021 quarterback class, I think it is also serving as kind of a reminder for the cultures. They kind of enter into the final third of the season, looking obviously to fill that quarterback spot. We'll do it. And we'll talk about that when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Ryan Nicky, George Bremer here with you. If you like what you hear, tell a friend and make sure they are also downloading and subscribing to the Blue Horseshoe Podcast wherever you do get your podcast. iTunes, Android, Spotify, we are all over the podcasting platform map. All right, so George, I think it's a good time to kind of talk about for the Colts, their quarterback for next year. I've been talking about it a lot. You made a great point about Jim Harbaugh that maybe he's the one head coach you could bring in that maybe won't care about who the quarterback is, but I think a large part will be wondering, we'll be asking, what is your plan, right? And when, in the interview with Jim Mercer, what is your plan for quarterback? Right now at 4-6 and 1, the Colts are projected to have, let's say, a mid-team pick, 12, 13, 14. Maybe the Colts lose, you know, more than we expect, and you end up losing to the Texans end of the year. But either way, it'll be, it should be just on the outside of a top-10 pick, which makes it a little bit harder to get the quarterback you want. And when you kind of look at – the 2021 draft class so far is we're entering, you know, basically almost a year number two of them being in, in the league. Trevor Lawrence still struggling. Zach Wilson really struggling. Maybe the Jets are going to move on from him at the end of the year. Trey Lance is, is incomplete because he, he started, what, two games, three games in his right now in his career so far, out the rest of the year with injury in San Francisco. Justin Fields is coming on strong and looking kind of good. And finally, Mac Jones is, eh, okay, he's regressing year number two. How much of that is offense coordinated versus him and, and the lack of weapons? But it, it just almost, I think, highlights a point. That if you are the Colts, again, I do think you need to draft a quarterback. We've been talking about it for months. But also, I think this 2021 class, especially, and where the Colts are picking, serves as a reminder, it's not as easy as pick a quarterback, that your guy is going to work out. Like You need pieces around him, which right now the offensive line is not there for him. And you need to make sure that this is the guy to uh, to get. Otherwise, we spin in your wheels, and you could be like the Jets, where two or three years from now, you're looking at another quarterback and a failed swing and a miss at, at a guy. It's it's a dangerous game to play. Or you could be like the Cardinals and and commit you know a lot of money to Kyler Murray and still not really be certain right. about what you've got. You know, I mean that that's another situation you end up in uh, that that's not great. Um, I, I agree with you. I think one of the other things that's going to be interesting about this quarterback class. Uh, we'll see how it all shakes out right now. I mean, there's a lot of rumors, and it, there always are, you know, who's going to go where. But next year already, and it seems like it's always that way, next year's already being hyped up. Caleb Williams and Drake Bay, and is that an even better class? How many teams buy into that could be interesting from a cold standpoint too uh, because it could help somebody fall, somebody they like maybe fall. If you're a team like Detroit or uh, Houston even, you know, who you might feel like you're more than just the quarterback away. Maybe you go for another piece this year 
and take your chances with Williams or May next year. I, I don't know. We've seen teams do that in the past, though, where you think they're absolutely going to take somebody high and, and they like somebody in the next class. So I think there's a lot of variables here to, to, to play into, and, and we're going to be able to get into that a lot uh, as we go into. But I think that's one that's emerging, one I hadn't thought about earlier in the year. The more USC wins, the more Caleb Williams talk there is. He may win the Heisman. Uh, you know, he's going to be a guy that, that maybe some teams want. Uh, and Drake May at North Carolina has got a lot of that buzz around him. It, maybe not so much from this week, but certainly recently right. he's been on the, the rise as well. Um, I don't know. And, and for the Colts as well, you know, I mean, it, that's going to factor into their their thought process too. You're not in a spot to get your guy this year, maybe take something else and, and go all in to get one of those two guys next year. I, let's just assume, right, that Chris Ballard is the GM uh, who's making this Kordak pick. Let's just assume because it's just easier that way. He's been a guy that I, I know, look, just I want a Kordak as bad as everyone else wants a Kordak, right? Let's just, you know, the, the, clearly you know, the Colts have needed one since Andrew Luck has left, and that's been the biggest issue right now is why they, you know, they have a talented roster that they haven't been able to maximize. So it's not to minimize the Kordak position whatsoever, but it's more honestly the other way to highlight how important it is. Taking a quarterback to take a quarterback, taking a chance, 99.99999% of the time, it doesn't work out. Like, it's not that simple. And even if you have a, a decent situation, if you're, eh, let's say, not all in on one guy and you're just feeling the pressure to, to take one just because I got to save my job here, when has that ever worked out? So it's just as important, not only where you're picking, and again, it helps when you're higher in the draft, that the coach do themselves no favors, picking, you know, let's say in the mid-teens, but it, also at the same time, it truly doesn't matter where you pick them. Like, I'm a little upset myself, I will say, because I've always been anti-tank for a while because if you look at, you know, the history books and, and the, the NFL draft records, the number one overall court I've taken rarely works out. Like, it's more of an anomaly when they actually are like a guy like Joe Burrow that blossoms into this, you know, transformational guy. Like, usually teams picking at the top are so desperate and relying on, oh, save our save our franchise, please. You be the guy to turn around that. It's too much of an undertaking. So even with the Colts, you look at their, their deficiencies in offense, especially the offensive line, like, if they do end up taking a quarterback in the first round, it's not only just as important that you take one that you love if you're Chris Ballard and you have zero doubts about. Again, this is a guy also in Kansas City that helped draft Patrick Holmes. So he's, you know, has an idea, at least was in the meetings when those are going on. He has an idea of, you know, having conviction. But at the same time as well, it's also about, you know, making sure that they are in a position to succeed. And I think Jonathan Taylor could say, okay, that's a really good piece to have. Michael Pittman Jr., a really good piece to have. You know, the offensive line on paper – Quinn Nelson, you know, Ryan Kelly, Brandon Smith should be foundational pieces. Obviously, this year has not been the case. But just as important as, as getting a guy you feel good about is getting, you know, or is putting that quarterback in a position to succeed. And right now, the Colts don't give you that feeling that they are able right now to, let's say, incubate a young quarterback to have them develop into the guy that they want them to be for the next five, ten years. Like, you look at, like, Mac Jones, a guy who doesn't really have a lot of weapons at that time. I mean, we saw him two weeks ago against the Colts. He didn't look very good whatsoever. Like that was more what the Colts and Sam Ellinger just giving them short fields and free touchdowns compared to getting carved up by Mac Jones. We've seen Trevor Lawrence eh, hit or miss more dangerous with, your, with his legs than his arm. You know, it's, it's one of those situations where you have to give them a chance to succeed. And I think a lot of teams, especially in the first round, you lose sight of that. And it's just an important reminder now you see in the 2021 class struggle that you do need good pieces around these young quarterbacks too play well and it's just tough because now you're looking at a mid-team pick George and if it's quarterback I don't know it's like quarterback four or left tackle two I think it's more of a discussion now than it was let's say even a month ago I'm, I'm 100% with you and I think to your point I think two quarterbacks from the same draft really illustrate exactly what you're talking about 
Trevor Lawrence was that number one overall pick. A lot of people were talking about, hey, let's go ahead and, and tank for him and, and get it done. Actually, they were a year apart. Uh, but, you know, everyone was talking about Trevor Lawrence this, Trevor Lawrence that. Jacksonville's not built around him well. He's still struggling. We still really don't know what he is or who he is because you really haven't gotten a chance to, right. to see him, you know, fully blossom. Uh, but Miami wanted Tua. They had no question about it. Uh, got him, I think, at five, you know, a little bit lower than they probably thought they were going to be able to. Uh, but weren't sure what they had. Kept building around him. I think they're pretty happy with, with Tua Tungavailoa right now and how things are going with the Dolphins, uh, you know, division-leading Dolphins uh, over in the AFC East. I, I think that, to me, those two guys show you exactly what you're talking about. Jacksonville got the number one overall guy. They got the gift from the gods, and, and they've done nothing with it. And Miami was very deliberate, got the guy they wanted. Uh, we all knew all along that's who they were targeting, built around him, and are seeing the results now. So um, I think that's what the Colts have got to do. It's not a matter of, you know, just like you said, taking a guy just to do it. You got to be all in. And I, I still think the biggest mistake of Chris Ballard's tenure so far is not trusting that with Justin Fields. I know he was a fan of Justin Fields. I don't know if he was a fan enough to trade up. Uh, but I know he was a fan of Justin Fields from different things that I've heard and different sources. Um, you know, when you have that feeling, you, you got to go all in. I think we're we're having a big different conversation right now in this whole season if Justin oh, yeah. Fields is here and, and Carson Wentz was never here. I could not agree more. You are 100% right about that. This entire, who knows, this entire franchise could be, you know, trajectory. Frank Wright could still be hired. Maybe a different, like, right. The, how we're talking about the Colts right now be drastically different. If in that, you know, 2021 draft, Chris Ballack said pulled the trigger, had some conviction, traded up to uh, to get Justin Fields instead of giving away the draft assets to Brandon Carson Wentz, a bandy that we know just utterly, utterly failed for sure. So it's about conviction. And like you said, just just, just serving as a reminder early on here as we kind of enter or end November and enter Jan uh, December, a quarterback alone is not fixing this team. But I think a lot of teams think, oh, first round pick. We'll be good to go, turn around. And again, the rare case of Joe Burrow uplifting a team. But again, he, even he has a ton of help at running back and receiver where they built those receiving core, you know, that receiving core and that running back room over a few drafts to get Joe Burrow in a position where in year two he's going to the Super Bowl. That's a, a one in a million kind of case here. You, again, need to build a team to allow the quarterback to succeed. And I think so far in this hyped 2021 draft class that was so heralded, you're kind of seeing the, the results of that when you don't do it. It's it's tough to succeed. It's really tough. So just as a reminder to Colts fans here, the savior's on the way. I know it's tough also, George, because Andrew Luck was that savior. That's another one in a million. That's maybe a better reference I should have used earlier on. Andrew Luck, is, whoever is drafted next year, if they do go to my uh, quarterback in the first round, they're not taking a team that could go 6-10-1 and one and making them 11-6 and six next year or 12-5 and five, like Andrew Luck did. It's not happening, you know? So it's, it's going to be a situation where you're going to need patience and time. Um to allow them to succeed. And it's not just going to be a one-year fix. Yeah. To paraphrase Rick Pitino up, up in your hometown, you know, <laughs> Peyton Manning's not walking through that door. Andrew Luck's not walking through that door. I, sure. I, it, it's a lot to put on a 22 year old, you know, to sit there and, and think that a 22 year old quarterback or 23 year old quarterback, or if it's in an hooker, I guess 25 year old quarterback going to come walking in here uh, and, and turn everything around next year. That's an awful lot to put on a kid's shoulders. And I think that's part of why the, you see a lot of these first-round picks fail because they get into these situations and they're being told. I mean, Trevor Lawrence was basically said, save us. Turn this this garbage pile that we've, we've built around. Make us, you know, a, a great team. 
it doesn't work that way very often. Uh, and even when it does, like you said, Joe Burrow, hey, it took off when Jamar Chase came. I don't know if there's any right. coincidence there. You know, we go get him his favorite college receiver, and all of a sudden, uh, it's all worked. Now, if they ever give him an offensive line, look out. You know, the Bengals are really That's be true. trouble. But it's all about what else you do. And I think that from an optimistic standpoint, Ballard gets that. You know, that's why he builds the way he builds. He wants to put a situation where when you do finally put the quarterback in there, it's going to be the best case scenario. I think he just needs now to to have the courage of his convictions. I think there's no other choice. If he's still around, you know, if, if there's a guy in this draft, whoever it may be, that he feels strongly about, they need to do what it takes to get him. Could be hard this year because I think there's a lot of teams that are going to be looking for quarterbacks. You know, yes. I think Aaron threw out Philadelphia, who I think is going to be an interesting case scenario there they've got the saints pick so i think one thing colts should do is root for the saints to lose the rest of the year uh, the higher that pick is you know we know they've done deals with philly before maybe that's a spot you can go get your guy uh, but you know a lot of people always talk about why didn't they get uh justin herbert well look at that draft miami wasn't moving from five you know i i don't know where you were going to go to get him maybe at four uh but it, it takes two you know so you've got to have conviction but you also have to have a situation like happened in 2021 where Justin Fields is falling and the giants were willing to get out of that spot. Uh, you need both those things to come together and it's, you know, it's rare. It really is a little bit of luck too. You know, uh, it's, it's really tough. I, I, I know the Colts, when you go from, Hey man, Andrew luck, it's hard to get a grasp on just how tough it is to find a quarterback. But I think now we're all seeing it like five years, the Colts have, you know, done everything except draft a young quarterback in the first round. They've, sign guys they've traded for guys it's all you know basically for the most part been a swing and a miss outside of let's say philip rivers and again cobra said for the first half of 2019 concerning the circumstances did a solid job but it's really hard there's a reason why there's i don't know eight untradeable quarterbacks and everyone's even if you have a top 10 guy but at nine or ten they're still looking to upgrade still looking to find a guy there's still questions about dak prescott in dallas is he truly the guy to lead them to a super bowl it's really freaking hard so just as a reminder, as we kind of get closer to draft season here, the the, the guy is not going to be a savior, whoever they do draft. And Chris Ballard knows, like you mentioned, he, he's operated this way for a while. Don't just take a guy to take a guy. Don't take a, you know, close your eyes, throw a dartboard and Hey, it's quarterback five. We're just going to go with it. So everyone gets off my ass. I don't think Chris Ballard is, is that kind of guy, but if they take, let's say a left tackle and pick 13, I don't think I'll be as upset now as maybe I would be a month ago, just because like I said, where the Colts are, the impossibility is to kind of maybe try to trade up with so many teams need a quarterback. It's going to be fascinating to see kind of all how the dominoes fall here these next few months, especially. But let's, you know, we'll see for sure kind of what uh, what the future just holds for Colts uh, at the quarterback position. It's going to be a very busy draft season, George. That is for sure. So between now and then, we still have a busy regular season. So before you get draft season. Busy rest of the regular season. We enter the, the final home stretch, the final third of the season. And we will be here all throughout the rest of the regular season. So make sure you are downloading and subscribing to the Blue Horseshoe Pod wherever you do get your podcasts. Have a very happy and blessed Thanksgiving. Enjoy the holiday. We will be back on Friday like normal for our preview pod, even though the game's on Monday night. So whether it's you're kind of recovering from a turkey coma on Friday, Black Friday shopping as well, make sure you pop us on. We will, uh, we will be back on Friday at our usual time here. Get you set for Steelers and Colts. Have a great holiday, George. Happy Thanksgiving. And we'll talk to you on uh, Friday. Happy Thanksgiving.